In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. First, may I say what a pleasure, joy it is for me to be here with you this morning, filling in for Father Daniel. It is uh, three years now since I retired from being rector of St. Clement's in Philadelphia on 20th and Cherry Streets, and um, it's given me the freedom to do things like this. As you can hear, I was not born and brought up in South Philly. I was born and brought up in Edinburgh, in Scotland, and I was ordained by the Bishop of Edinburgh 50 years ago this year. So it's my, I don't know what you call it, is that the golden anniversary of my priesting? And since then I have worked in the Episcopal Church in Scotland, where I was Dean of the Cathedral in Inverness, and then in the Church of England, where I worked with the Diocese in Europe, which is the extraordinary diocese which has one, uh, two bishops, but 300 parishes scattered around the continent of Europe, outside Britain. And so I was the vicar general of that enormous diocese and never out of aeroplanes and airports. So I was glad when I was made the dean of Gibraltar, that extraordinary British rock at the end of Spain, uh, where I was for four years. And then I was, another extraordinary thing of this diocese is they give you lovely titles like Dean of Gibraltar, but not one penny more in stipend. <laughs> and I got, the, the next title I got was Archdeacon of Italy and Malta. And the Archbishop of Canterbury once visited the Pope, and I went with him as Archdeacon, and he introduced me to Pope John Paul II, who was really rather ill by that time. And I have a picture of him saying, I think he said, this is Father Reed, the Archdeacon of Italy and Malta. And Pope John Paul looks utterly astonished. Because, you know, as if to say, I didn't make anybody Archdeacon of Italy and Malta. <laughs> but it's a lovely picture to have. And the, sadly, the Pope died the next year. But anyway, after that, I came to America uh, and became the rector of St. Clement's, Philadelphia. Uh, that's another story altogether. But I have done 12 years there and now... As I say, I'm retired. So it's a joy to be able to come here and fill in for your rector who is on retreat with the vestry. But I'm not here really for a travelogue. I'm here to preach the gospel, so uh, I will. The gospel I read about you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world is one so well known to us we kind of forget what it's talking about. If we... If you, you, you who are cooks, which I'm not, know that if you put salt into one end of a dish, a pie or a stew, and nothing in the other end, both ends will t taste pretty awful. One will be far too salty, and the other one will be bland, with no salt in it at all. The salt's got to be mixed through the entire dish to make it taste tasty. And I think the Lord is saying to us, we have to be spread out in the world. We've got to go into every corner of the world with the Christian message of love and compassion and kindness and goodness and spread it everywhere with no exceptions, politics included. But I won't go into that right now. 
And then the Lord says, you are the light of the world, which is slightly different because a light has to be a certain distance away to be any use. If the light was down in the pews, under the pew, you wouldn't see anything. But it has to be above and slightly apart. And the Lord says, you are to be the light of the world. In other words, your good works, and he recommends good works, in spite of what Luther said, good works are to be done openly and to show them to the world. But it's not for your glory or my glory that they're being done. It's so that men may see the glory of the Father. We do the good works because the Lord commends them. You cannot be a Christian without wanting to do good, to help rather than hinder, to give rather than to steal. All the goodness that comes from being a Christian and keeping the gospel. You cannot do it without the light of Christ. And it's very funny when it says in the modern translation, you don't take your lamp and put it under a bushel basket. I never knew what a bushel was really in the old translation. But if it's a basket, clearly if you put your light under it, it will set the basket on fire and you'll burn the entire house down. Instead, you put it on a stand and it gives light to the whole house. In other words, we have to use the gospel of Christ properly and everywhere. And the other bit of the gospel that I'd like to draw to your attention is that the Lord says, I didn't come to abolish the law, the Jewish law, or the prophets, like Isaiah, Isaiah, who pro proclaimed the coming of the Messiah. He says, I didn't come to abolish them, I came to fulfill them. And you must wonder what the fulfilling of the law is. <clears throat> I mean, how did Jesus fulfill the law and the prophets? Well, the answer is in the epistle we had from 1 Corinthians, where St. Paul says, your patron, says, I preached only Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, all St. Paul's preaching was about the crucified Messiah, that the power of God, the light of God, was seen in the cross, where the Lord was completely helpless, where his hands were pinned that would have gladly gone blessing the people, where his feet were pinned, although he'd gladly have walked to help others. He could do nothing, and yet we fill our churches with crucifixes, and we're right to do so, because that is where the power of God is at its most powerful. That is where the gospel is enthroned. Because the power of God is not enforcing anyone to do anything. It's not in armies or in ruling from above, as the Pharisees, sadly, had got into doing. And, the, and Jesus said nasty things about the Pharisees. He called them a brood of vipers. Because they were saying you must keep the law and they're not keeping it themselves. Whereas Jesus is saying we must do the will of God and be salt to the world and be the light of the world 
but we must do it one by one in the places where we are put. And the fact that Paul says, I'm only interested in preaching about Jesus is fine. But then he says, and only about Jesus on the cross. Only about Jesus crucified. And remember what Jesus said on the cross. You remember the seven words from the cross? One of them was, it is finished. And you could say it as I just about did, meaning it's all over. I've failed. It's finished. And some people take it like that. But it's not. The Greek tetelestai and the Latin consummatum est show us that it's more like it is fulfilled, it is finished, it's, it's perfect. Like an artist standing back from a portrait and then just going and putting one little dot in an eye that brings the whole thing to life. That's what the cross does to the picture of God that Jesus is, is proclaiming. I assure you this really is just water. <laughs> The power of God in the cross is the power of love. And the power of love is what we have to proclaim to the world and then do. It's no use telling the world to love one another unless we love one another. Let your light so shine before people that they may see your good works and glorify not you, but your Father in heaven. What a wonderful gospel. What a wonderful good news for the world. And I know you are doing it here, in this church, in this place. I know that you are doing good works of all sorts, and the more the merrier. And I wish you all the blessings of God in being salt, saltiness for the whole earth, in every corner of it, and in being the light of the world, showing the gospel in your life, in your goodness, in your kindness, in your love. In the name of that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.